Hello and welcome to Hat and Many Things, a podcast with me, Mike, and my co-host, Tom. Wait, that's not right. Where's Mike? Well, um, <laughs> this week we're joined by Lisa instead. Uh, Lisa, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi there, my name is Lisa. I live in Manchester and I am a dinosaur enthusiast who has worked with dinosaur bones in the past, but is not a paleontologist. That's really cool. I had no idea you'd worked with dinosaur bones before, so that is definitely going to be a talking point later on. Um, and we're also joined by another dinosaur enthusiast, uh, Wade. Hello, I'm I'm Matt or Matt Wade, and I like dinosaurs because who doesn't? I mean, fair. <laughs> um, and Wade, have you had experience with dinosaurs? Uh, I mean, I was a geologist. I learned a little bit about dinosaurs. Uh, I mostly know about dinosaurs through science. Then you are better set off than me, sir. You would probably be surprised. I mean, maybe we'll get onto this in a bit once we've defined what dinosaurs are for people who don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, I think maybe we can talk about how people are very interested in dinosaurs, but how much information is actually transferred, you know, like in the school system, perhaps. Before you get onto it, can I ask, though, that everyone just review the definition of dinosaurs from Merriam-Webster Dictionary? Because when I was looking at it before joining this podcast, the second technical definition that is in the dictionary made me howl with laughter. <laughs> Absolutely howl with laughter. Well, I mean, we normally start with a definition, so let's start with the Wikipedia one, and then we can uh, also mention that one straight after. According to Wikipedia, dinosaurs are a diverse group of reptiles of the clade Dinosauria, and they first appeared during the Triassic period between 243 and 233 million years ago, um, though they're not exactly sure on the timing. They became the dominant terrestrial vertebrates um, and then continued throughout the Jurassic and Cretaceous periods um, before going extinct about 65 million years ago in an event I'm sure we'll cover later on. The Merriam-Webster definitions, though, are a bit shorter than Wikipedia. So there's definition one, any of a group dinosauria of extinct, often very large, chiefly terrestrial, carnivorous or herbivorous reptiles of the Mesozoic era. Um, I think the one problem with that definition is you need to know a lot of sub-definitions, but we can get onto oh, that. No, I've sent the wrong link. Let me find it again. It's brilliant. So the first definition is like a fossil reptile of the Mes Mesozoic era in many species reached to enormous size or a personal thing that is outdated or has become obsolete because of failure to adapt to changing circumstances. So like James Bond being a uh, dinosaur of the Cold War, as I think is mentioned in one of the Golden... Uh, is it in Goldeneye, probably? It's Goldeneye, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I just really liked that because it's a common thing that we all say, that people would refer to somebody else as, or something as like a dinosaur, usually someone. Um, but it's all about that like failure of adaptive changing in circumstances. But as you said, we're going to touch on it later, you know, how they ended. That's maybe not an accurate description. I object. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I thought you were laughing at the fact that the second Merriam-Webster one I had was any of various large extinct reptiles, such as ichthyosaurs, 
other than true dinosaurs, because I find it quite amusing that the second definition of dinosaur is not dinosaurs. (laughs) It's like all the other things people accidentally call dinosaurs because they were around at the same period of time. (laughs) This is a colloquial meaning. I think the... And this is me again saying I think there could be people out there who are like you talking out your ass. Um, Archaeosaurs, A-R-C-H-O-S-A-U-R-S. And that is the sort of wider branch, which then breaks down into dinosaurs, uh, plesiosaurs, ichthyosaurs, pterodactyls and crocodiles. So that's like that overarching one where I do think you get a lot of that crossover. With, like, say, pterodactyls, plesiosaurs, ichthyosaurs, which, at least in my mind, in my head, I'm always kind of like, well, they're kind of a dinosaur, but they're not in any sort of classification form. Yeah, I think it's one of those kind of things where when you're a geeky kid at school and someone will be like, oh, I love this dinosaur, it's the underwater one. And you'd be like, oh, no, sorry, it's not a dinosaur, I'm terribly sorry. Like, it's that kind of thing. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's funny, though, that, like... Because dictionaries reflect usage and not necessarily scientific definitions, the meaning of dinosaur can be dinosaurs and not dinosaurs. <laughs> and very old men. <laughs> I do I do love the old one, but yeah, that is interesting as well, just the idea of true dinosaurs. As these fake dinosaurs, especially since, as I'm sure we'll touch on, you know, what we know about dinosaurs. Is at times shaky. Yeah, our knowledge, I mean, it, it's, we'll get into it very quickly, but one thing I just wanted to add in here is the term terrible lizard, which is one of those things I was told as a kid as an absolute fact. And the absolute fact I was told is that the word dinosaur means terrible lizard. I can echo that sentiment. Oh, you see, I never heard that. It's the, I think my dad told me, but it's one of those things, like, gets passed down, like, in your, you know, someone tells you this and you go, oh, yeah, okay, cool. And I've known that for, the entirety of my life, and it, I was today years old when I googled it and had a look and realised that, like, that's not actually true at all. So if you actually search for terrible lizard, am I just going to find pictures of like lizards who can't lizard? Like, no, lizards falling off although, trees. And... Do we know where it's coined from? Like, is there a specific article or book or or story or something that coined the phrase? terrible lizard or do you think it's just come through orally as some sort of passed on myth so it's so this is one of those things where it's a bit pernickety so it doesn't technically mean terrible lizard but it's quite close so it comes from greek and um it, it, it was originally defined to mean fearfully great lizard but yeah uh so the greek word dinos as a superlative means fearfully great um but people have now would say terrible well, obviously, dinosaurs are neither terrible or lizards. I mean, I suppose they could be terrifying, but yeah, it's not. It's 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 again, it's a bit pernickety. But I was just told flat out it means terrible lizard as a kid, and it doesn't necessarily. No, it's not a, a straight translation. Although it's interesting that the focus on lizard was because it was similar to, if I'm just reading this quickly, and the fossil bones were similar to iguanas when first found. That was sort of the link that the individuals who first found it, so they were like, oh, it's just like a giant iguana. Because I don't know if any of you have been to the um, Natural History Museum in London. I assume you at least I have, have been Tom. many times, yeah. yeah. It seems like... Fair few. The giant sloth that's in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, it's yeah. an example, you know, where you'd find something and you'd be like, oh, it seems a bit similar, but it's not, so... 
I can imagine that got misnamed at the beginning because I can't imagine anyone was like, oh, this, these giant bones here are definitely a sloth, but just magnified. Can't see it. Well, Iguanodon was the first dinosaur discovered, wasn't it? And it was like put together horribly wrong. Yeah. So Crystal Palace, which is slightly further out in London, has a load of dinosaur sculptures made, I think, in like the 1910s or something like that. And a lot of them are terribly incorrect. <laughs> and one of them is the Iguanodon, which they just got wrong. I think it's on all fours or something. Did um, they, and they thought the original the, um, bones? Uh, one of them was the thumb spike, and they thought it was a horn, I believe. Yes, they found one, so they just went, oh, that must be a horn. That seems obvious, but it's supposed to be the thumb spike um, that they had, or one on each hand. This is their original... Uh, that's not the photo I sent. <laughs> I tried to that send one doesn't the original- have a horn. I'm going to just put that out there, sir. Oh, no, I tried to send the original <laughs> restoration photo that I've got. Oh, it has, yes, it has linked to that one. Oh, it ha- it looks very derpy. <laughs> it does not look like the ferocious beast that you think of when you think dinosaur is it terrible lizard yeah that truly truly terrifying what's going on with its like arm what's that about what you mean the way it, the bone looks kind of like split yeah where there's that bit on its um, forearm the first sort of piece of bone looks like it's sort of coming off purposefully um, pass. Maybe the bone was damaged. Maybe the dude slipped his pen. Uh, actually, no, I think it was a girl who discovered the Iguanodon. But I might be wrong. There was definitely a famous female dinosaur. They've got a very similar feel to a Komodo dragon on steroids. <laughs> I think possibly because that's what they had access to. I, I think maybe, um, so you've already alluded to it, Wade, but the, um, if we're talking science, um, the first person, uh, well, at least the first person in the UK, I believe she's generally regarded to be like the mother of fossil hunting. Um, the first person to go out and find a lot of these fossils. Uh, and in the UK, we don't have, say, T-Rexes, for example, lying around. You have to go over to the US for that. But Mary Anning, um, who would go down to one of my favourite places to visit, Lyme Regis, and go fossil hunting, um, and... Uh, as is unfortunately often the case in historical scientific contexts, a lot of her work was uh, like pushed to one side when they were building things like the Natural History Museum and stuff like that. She was refused um, entry into the, I believe it's like the National Geological Association, whatever the official title of it at the time was, because she was a woman. Um, but she is now credited as being the first person to get the first complete ichthyosaur and first person to have the first complete plesiosaur. So she's brilliant. The geologists. Not letting women in. I mean, I don't think you, that was the only society that was doing that kind of thing at that it time. Def- definitely wasn't. <laughs> definitely wasn't. But, yeah. Possibly this is where Wade could come in and explain to us why... Living in Lyme Regis, she had such a good opportunity to find fossils. Well, I mean, I'm sure you know, uh, but maybe the listeners don't, that the Lyme Regis area is called the Jurassic Coast. Uh, and that's because it's made out of rocks from the Jurassic Age. Uh, as mentioned earlier, the dinosaurs were around from the Jurassic through to the Cretaceous period. And therefore, there are dinosaurs in the Jurassic rocks. Um I'm not a super expert on what all the rocks are there because they're mostly chalk, I think. Um, 
But there will be some other terrestrial rocks there which will contain old dino gubbins. Uh, so anything in a Jurassic through to Cretaceous era that is of predominantly a terrestrial uh, body is going to be a, a reasonable place where you might find some dinosaur bones. I think something that's quite interesting sort of to mention at this point is just to make it clear that at this period of time, the UK as a majority was underwater. So there's a, there is a reason why we don't get any of the um, significantly large, terrible lizards um, here. They're mostly found in um, Argentina, North America, China, um, because that was part of the landmass of Pangaea. I always pronounce it wrong, so please correct me. I've only ever heard it said Pangaea, and I could have been saying it wrong my whole life. Yeah, I always it's one of those, those things you've seen it. written down. I have heard it called Pangaea, but I mean, I will always call it Pangaea. Yeah. Um, so when you do find most fossils that are quote unquote dinosaur, because obviously Ichthyosaur and Plesiosaur don't come under the technical definition of dinosaur, um, as defined in Wikipedia or Merriam-Webster, they're one of the uh, sort of more loose and open classifications but they're the ones that you get predominantly in the uk to my knowledge um i've i've had the great uh luck of meeting an individual who um found a significantly large plesiosaur that's now in the manchester museum that's awesome and he said it was really really cool because he was walking and they were both found um on the coast near whitby uh, the specifics I can't remember off the top of my head because it's been a number of years now. Um, but he was walking with his uncle, and his uncle was like a paleontologist slash geologist, and they stumbled across this one. They would go along and pick up all sorts because they said you could get um, ammonites and lots of different things on the coast. Sometimes you know you just get little bits of um, different sea creatures in the chalk. So you never knew what you could find. And they used to get quite a lot of like jet and stuff wash up as well, which I don't know if that has anything to do with it geologically or if it's just by chance that they're nearby. But he said they found like half of the body like coming out of a crumbled cliffside. Wow. That's really, wow, really, that's really cool. Yeah. I was like, that's that's something. But can you imagine? It's just... Imagine if you didn't know what it was, though. You saw that face first thing. That's terrifying. Yeah. I mean, they they are... Like their eye sockets are interesting things, and like their beaks are like they're just an interesting thing to see. If you've never seen anything like that, imagine walking around in the 1800s and stumbling across it. One other thing I wanted to mention is that from the geology, uh, and again, Wade is a natural geologist. I just did an A level, so I've shared there. Um, it'll be in the show notes. There's a geological map of Britain, and one of the things that's interesting is the way the the beds are. They have kind of been laid down in such a way um that we get this massive cut through and if you look in down at the bottom in dorset you go between i think there's about four or five color changes in dorset along the coast so that's going to be a place where the sea can erode it and and reveal what's underneath but you actually have quite a good cut through of various parts of geological time and also if you actually look up to whitby you can see it's kind of lower jurassic middle jurassic which would explain um, how and a bit of Triassic, which would explain how they'd be able to find those kind of fossils up there as well. Um, whereas down in like where we live, you don't really get anything particularly. There's some Cretaceous stuff maybe, but it's mostly chalk around me. There's not really fossils being 
um, display, you know, you're not finding fossils from erosion in the middle of the Surrey Hills. I'm trying to remember. This has just sparked a memory in me from when I, I used to work at a Manchester museum uh, many moons ago. So I got to meet a really interesting collection of people because they have um, T Rex there, some plesiosaurs, ichthyosaurs. Oh, they've got the fossils. They oh, have my Stan. Grad- my graduation so. photo was taken in front of Stan. Who doesn't have one of those? Some of, our, some of our friends got married <laughs> underneath him. Married underneath Stan. That's amazing. Yeah, they've got this brilliant picture like running away from him. I feel like <laughs> the audience needs to know who Stan is. Um, I have got a note on our ones that I will post in because I've got about the individual who found him as well and where he was located. Um, just because I think he makes like quite an interesting talking point about a few different things. But um, I'm, it's just reminded me there is a place, or there was a place, uh, I believe in the UK, where it was noted that... Um, Due to the layers in which the ground had, um, every number of months, fossilized footprints would uh, what sort of reveal themselves on like the beach and in the rocks, and then they would erode away. So there was like scientists or paleontologists, potato potato, um, looking on the beach because every now and again all these um, footprints of different creatures in different periods of time would appear, but then they would also get eroded away to reveal the bottom layer and it would keep going down. And I'm trying to find where it was because we had someone come in and talk about it. It's really interesting. That is really cool because footprints are um, like really rare um, and really hard to preserve. You have to get really, really good conditions to preserve footprints so any any footprints are really exciting yeah no it's it's just it's just i think we are very fortunate with our geology in the uk that we get such a cross-section in such a smaller small area because if you go out to the us you have to go to places like arizona and utah and stuff like that where um you know they're much bigger places and they they have places where they know that they can find fossils but the fact you can find so many fossils just walking along a beach in a holiday town in britain probably did lend to the uh you know increase the chances of people finding them um at a reasonable time and i'm sure people must have found them way back when and just had no idea what they were whereas it was mary anning who started to actually collect them and uh and 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 you know start to work out the different types and and write write it down on that point it's it's being along the coast that really helps that because uh, i mean i'm sure as you know it's like most fossils are harder than the rocks there in and either they've been i mean sometimes they are they will be made out of exactly the same kind of composition as the rock for example if you get like um dead seashells that open up they roll around and get sand filled in on them and then the shell gets dissolved away that mold will be the same as the rock itself but a lot of fossils will get mineralized um because they're like a Imagine if you have a fluid permeating through these rocks. Uh, it's like a nucleation point because it's different. It's it's different to the more homogenous layers of the rock. So it, it makes a good place to focus um, this crystallization. So you might get replacements. Um, so yeah, I know you can get a lot of siliceous or silica uh, ammonites or pyritized ammonites. Um, Those are some of my favorite, actually. I mean, maybe yeah. because they're very oh, yeah, easy to yeah. find as a kid, but they're just so cool. Right. So being on a coast where there's lots of erosion, you just, because you've constantly got the 
the rocks eroding away and then the harder stuff staying there it just makes it such a gold mine so easy to find whereas if you if you're talking inland don't get wrong there's erosion happening in land all the time but it's not on the same kind of scale as the coast where you're like oh we lost two meters this year you know you're just you're excavating so much more volume of rock yeah i mean i think we've all seen some of those pictures you know where you've got a house that was once built a reasonable distance from the edge of the cliff and it is now falling into the ocean so yeah that's like a good example of it um were you saying then like the ammonites they are just like you can see how people got confused by what they were for a long period of time and it's only when you start getting some of the much larger ones that i think the sort of penny starts to drop about what they are and what they can be because some of them they're just completely calcified they're just stone whereas other ones they still have the segments on the inside and you can get a feel of of what the internal structure of the creature had to be like yeah definitely So you can sort of really sort of get a bit more of an idea together because there is quite a significant difference at least between some of the ammonites I've seen. Some of them would just, you know, if you tried to like cut through it, it's just solid rock. Whereas other ones you cut through, you can see all the segments in it. You can see some of the deposits in it. You can get an idea of what it did and how it moved. Or the creatures that lived inside it. Creatures that lived inside the ammonite. (laughs) Well, you know, the ammonite shell. The ammonite shell, because when we talk about ammonites, it's the shell that first comes to my mind, but then there's the actual ammonite that lives inside the shell, which is the fleshy creature that we don't have that much evidence of apart from the, um, I don't know what they're called, but you know where you've got the the markings on the rock? Trace fossils, or... I assume that that makes sense as to what they're called, but I wouldn't know what the technical definition is, but yeah. I'm trying to think when of what you're thinking When most ammonites of. that I think of, I just think of a solid ammonite, so just the shell. So if you have yeah, if you have a shell that's like the fossil, even if it's been mineralized, and then you have trace fossils, which are things like footprints or markings left by a creature, so those are a lot harder to come by, but obviously give us so much more information when we find them because as you say, all the all the squishy parts of the animal disappear. Yes. Yeah, they're like the trace fossils are indirect evidence, whereas Fossils are direct evidence that the creature lived. Well, you've got that one that used to be called, was it the Devil's... Devil's Toenails. That's it. And there was the creature that's um, similar to a cuttlefish now, but different. And we still have the Nautilus as well, which is, as I think, the closest thing we have to ammonoids. Um, probably. Cause, but maybe, cause maybe a- squid are, actually. I think, because Nautilus branched off quite early, I think squids might be more closely related. Oh, the Nautilus looks really similar, though, like in shape. Yeah, I mean, it definitely gives us an idea about how they lived. I've not they seen the Nautilus one before. Quite early, they, they're still around now. They live really deep in the ocean. I've seen, like, obviously, like the cuttlefish because this um, that main bone in the cuttlefish because they've only got the one memory recalls correctly is just the sort of same style as that prehistoric fossil. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, similar to how uh, Bellum Knights as well. Um, I realise we're listing off a lot of different creatures here. But, um, None of which people... are technically dinosaurs. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I just think that they're quite interesting, possibly because, you know, as we've discussed, we've all been out and done a bit of fossil hunting at some point, and these are the things you find. It's not in the picture I've shared, actually, but I definitely remember, like, 
Ammonite evolution is just really interesting because they started off as these like quite short, um, quite like long and thin creatures uh, in a shell, and they slowly curled up their shell o- over time. But as you get to like the the later period of um, Ammonite evolution before they get became extinct, they're trying out all sorts of wacky things. Like instead of just having straight segments in their shells, they've got all these really frilly ones. And there was, I think, there's a period where one brand of Ammonite. One species of Ammonite starts to roll out and becomes straight again, and then rolls back in over time. And yeah. it's just really interesting seeing the variety over millions of years when they were basically they they had the oceans to themselves, and so they could just experiment fairly freely from an evolutionary perspective. Just go for it. Yeah, they went pretty crazy. They're like they're similar to Graptolites in that sense, but Graptolites are way beyond way before the the kind of era we're talking. So I won't go into. They also went like, oh, let's do something sensible. Let's go on drugs. Sorry, I was just going to say, at the mention of graptolites, I have to mention that uh, the fascinating way... So graptolites are not necessarily the most interesting thing to look at, no. um, but my geology teacher had a way of talking them called the grap- teaching about them called the graptolite circus, which mostly involved him at the front of <laughs> the classroom acting out all sorts of weird poses to try and explain how they evolved <laughs> over time. Um which definitely kept them. I still remember all the graptolite kind of shapes because they're in my head. Um, but maybe we should move on from that. <laughs> that sounds absolutely legendary. <laughs> um, I was thinking of just uh, got taking a few steps back to uh, what we mentioned before. Obviously, Stan T Rex. Um, so moving on from like Marianning as one of the forefront paleontologists of the time, um, although not necessarily recognised as such. Um, so. Stan is a T-Rex skeleton that was found by Stan Sacrison, I believe him. That's not in a place called Hell Creek, which is just like the best name ever to find a T-Rex. I'm sorry, but how absolutely awesome is that? Uh, and what I love about this dude is that he was actually an amateur paleontologist and he managed to find the second or third most complete T-Rex in the world. And it actually is the most complete for its skull because what he found is um, the skull was actually broken into a number of different parts, which meant that they ended up putting it together like a puzzle piece, which obviously, as we know from our previous talk about the Iguanodon, doesn't always go well. But what it allowed them to do is to figure out how the T-Rex sort of moved its jaws and sort of how the internal aspects of a T-Rex was together without having to find a complete skull and break it which obviously a lot of paleontologists didn't want to do. So he's his complete skeleton in all the different pieces allowed them to get a much more detailed look at how um, a T-Rex skull was formed, what it could and couldn't do. And can I also say Stan was the boss because um, they noted that he had been in a fight with another T-Rex and that they'd torn the ligament around the neck Ooh. and that he had bone growth and... Um, it was just growth all around his neck and that, that suggested that he'd had his neck broken and that his neck had reset itself and formed differently around it and that the markings inside that done the damage matched the size and shape of T-Rex teeth. So he'd been so, in a T-Rex scrap and survived? Yeah, yeah. Badass. Oh, what a lad. Yeah, he was, he was. And he was also the smallest type of T-Rex you can get. He was the... Gracile, so T-Rexes come in two different bone types. They come in, I always used to describe it as a footballer and a rugby player. Oh, right, okay. So you get the thin bone sort of breed, want of a better phrase. I'm sure there's paleontologists here cringing as I'm saying this. And then there's the thicker bone type. 
And then also, um, we are talking about reptiles to an extent. Um, obviously debatable, but the females are larger than the males because they carry the eggs. So he was the grey cell bone type and he was a male, which made him the smallest variety of the four different varieties you could make out of the different bone types and the different genders. We are still talking like there's two bone types. They're still the same species, right? They're just different. Yes. Like... Okay. Just different bone densities. I assume it's because they found different ones in different places. So they've just yeah. noticed that there is a, a difference there, quite a notable one, but it's possibly okay. just due to sort of breeding or environmental factors okay sure but he is of the smaller type which if you've ever stood near him is kind of a terrifying idea yeah well don't yeah i mean they are big <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason i think possibly possibly one of the reasons people are so drawn to the concept of dinosaurs is they are just so huge and oh absolutely we have very few creatures that even stack up nowadays i mean elephants are big whales are huge because they're in the sea but yeah, I mean, they're just that there's such a plethora of these gigantic creatures. Um, that's what draws people in. Let's be honest. If I said we're going to the zoo, you can only see three animals. And I listed off like elephant, rhino, giraffe, mouse, um, shrew, and cat. You'd be like, oh, I'm going to see the elephant, the rhino, and the giraffe. Don't ask my grandma to go to the zoo. You will be disappointed, my friend. <laughs> Which is we went to the mouse, zoo, cat. her favourite. No, ducks. I mean, <laughs> we went to Chester Zoo cool. and her favourite animal was the ducks. It was, but she just liked that they were walking down the path, in her words, as bold as brass. Pretty much. It's like, yeah, there's, a, there's, you know, a cheetah over here, there's, you know, African hunting dogs, there's a rhino over there. But yeah, the ducks. <laughs> But no, apart from my grandma, you're totally right. I think most people, it is the, the bigger ones, the impressive ones, the slightly scary ones, I think. I think we do have this bizarre sort of interest in, in looking at things and be, learning about things that could quite happily kill us. So here we go. If I said, remember back to your childhood, what, what were the like prime dinosaurs you remember? Because I came up with a list of about seven that were like the main ones that you had dinos- that you had toys for. I can remember. Oh, like, yeah. I mean... So I must have had multiple models of T-Rexes, obviously. Yeah, T-Rex. I, I think that's easily on the list. Um, I had, I definitely had a Stegosaurus. Yep, that was, that was one on my list. And a Triceratops. That was on my list. Because I think most people have those. I did have an Ankylosaurus, and I don't yes. know how many people would have had one of those. No, I think that one's on the list because it looks like a mace, and it's really different. Mm. Yeah. Maybe, mm. maybe, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I obviously picked it out of the box at some point and went, that's the one for me when dad was buying gifts. So, yeah, and maybe, maybe everyone else thought the same way. I just remember struggling to s- pronounce it for ages, even though it's not a particularly difficult name. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put it out there. I only got into dinosaurs as a teenager and older. So if you'd have asked me when I was younger, I'd have gone, the one with the long neck. Ah, the so one with the spiky back. A Diplodocus or of, of type. So that was like another main toy that I remember. Yeah, having. I definitely had one of those. Yeah. I would just be describing them by those key features, you know, really long neck, the um, new like Velociraptor, the small ones. And I just named them by the sort of the commonality feature that people would mention. Like, yeah. again, not technically dinosaurs, but if you'd have asked me like an ichthyosaur, I'd have said the angry dolphin. 
<laughs> they are pretty angry dolphins. Ooh, um, speaking of childhood, the thing that sticks in my mind most was as a kid, I repeatedly rewatched over and over again just the Four Seasons part of Fantasia, which is the bit with the dinosaur oh, fight. Okay. It's like the evolution of the yeah. Earth and the dinosaur fight. And that, like, so that's got your T Rex, that's got your um, Stegosaurus, and as like the two main antagonists fighting each other. And then it's also got pterodactyls, which obviously, yeah. as we said, not quite a true dinosaur, but I think they're pretty popular. I remember distinctly a discussion um, with my dad about those that I think we'll talk about when we get to pop culture because it will fit in then. I'm just going to pop into this because this is reminding me of the thing that got me into um, dinosaurs or not got me into dinosaurs. Working with the museum did that. Um, more so than anything else. But I read a book called What on Earth Happened um, okay. called by Christopher Lloyd. And it's really interesting because it does the... It's like a brief history of the Earth um, from quote-unquote creation to um, the modern era. And it's done like a stop, like a 24-hour clock on the side. So as you start getting into human history, your 24-hour clock is already at like 23.50. Oh, yes. time scales. I love time scales. <laughs> but they have like a breakdown of, um, I never knew, and it's not really dinosaur relevant, but it's something that got always stuck in my mind, that there was a period of time in which we had giant trees and giant bugs because the oxygen levels were different in the world. I want to say carboniferous. I want. I would say it's of a similar time period. It's not. It's just obviously how we perceive these things now. I mean, the the timescales are massive, and but that's like a really good way of getting to grips. It's got some really nice, like um, quite simplified images for quite complex things, and it sort of just breaks it down and gives you that sort of touch base, so you can be like, "Oh, didn't know that." Really interesting, and then it has like a bit further information if you want to learn more about it. And I am in no way affiliated with this man or this book. But it's something that I found really interesting and sort of made my perception of it change to sort of realizing like this idea that, you know, when you've got these toys and you're playing with these different dinosaur toys, some of these dinosaurs will have never met each other. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were alive at different periods. They were at different parts of the earth and they couldn't move over due to climate and different things. But when you're young and you're playing with dinosaurs, you know, they're all around at the same time. They're all fighting against each other for survival when that's not actually the situation as we understand it. So let's get. When did the Triassic start? Let's just give some timescales here for people. So the Triassic period started 251.9 million years ago, and the Jurassic ended about 65 million years ago. So you're looking at almost 200 million years of dinosaurs. Yeah, and having already mentioned the epic fight between the T-Rex and the Stegosaurus in, in Fantasia, that, again, like I can draw that image up in my mind. The T-Rex was around 67 to 65 million years ago, so at the very end of dinosaurs. The Stegosaurus was around between 156 to 144 million years ago. So they Stegosauruses were as ancient to the T-Rex as T-Rexes are to us. Which is just mind blowing. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's crazy. It really yeah, is crazy because you just. I remember again. I what didn't play like much with dinosaurs. I wasn't like big on dinosaurs, but I remember thinking that like cavemen and dinosaurs were around around the same time. 
I was like, how did, how did we survive? <laughs> and I was just like, we wouldn't have, is the answer. We invented tools and fire. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm sorry, but a couple men in loincloths against some of these things, not a chance. Yeah, I mean, and that's how all our media, like, is, as, as a kid, I mean, especially coming out of the, uh, like, late 80s, there were a lot of cartoons with dubious scientific stuff in. Um, yeah. And, yeah, uh, it's not surprising that I think a lot of kids think that. And I mean, also, like like you say, you have the toys, you play with them, and it's really hard to pinpoint for me when I actually got into dinosaurs because it just feels like it was a constant thing in my life. And yeah, yeah, I can same. point to multiple things that I remember, um, but I'm not never actually 100% sure. <laughs> I remember having a cassette, uh, if people remember those, um, that had dinosaur-themed songs on it. And I remember having a giant encyclopedia of dinosaurs, which I don't know where it is, but it was probably pretty good, albeit now probably outdated. Yeah, I remember when I started reading books about dinosaurs, that those seemed to be fairly good, like the the ones that I remember having. But there was definitely that period where I was just like, anything which had a dinosaur in I loved, and I didn't really know why. <laughs> but what you said there about it being outdated, um, that's something that actually when I was uh, prepping, reading through some things for today, I remember, so I used to work at Manchester Museum Oh, 10 years ago, um, which makes me feel old. <laughs> but yeah, so I used to work there 10 years ago. Um, I worked there for quite a while. And I remember when kids kept on coming in and they were amazed because a new dinosaur had been discovered. Now, obviously, the word discovered here, the bones had been around for a while, but it just been classified and it was an agreed classification for the Spaniosaurus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I remember people coming in and it was, I, they were asking me all these questions. I'm like, I have no idea. I only know the old dinosaurs. I don't know what this new dinosaur is. I ain't got no idea. <laughs> I'm there going on Google when I go home to try and understand about this new dinosaur. Um, of which can I say Spaniosaurus? Kind of terrifying. They found it in, was it Egypt? They're from Egypt and Morocco, but I don't know if they found this one specifically in either of those places, but they like, went in the water and on land. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> All it was missing was a pair of wings and it was the ultimate predator. Did they swim as well? Um, yeah, so they, I don't think they went like underwater per se, but there's articles that suggest that they were like, I, I guess the word is similar to an amphibian, but that might be the wrong interpretation of what I've read. There you go, yeah, so... Oh. They were capable of that, you know. They weren't going to go and swim all the way into the middle of the ocean and and deep dive. Yeah, but running into the water wasn't gonna. Oh, that's wasn't going to do I you any favors. Didn't know they were old uh, Olympic swimmers. Yeah. So, but on the back of that, I did actually then find that there is a new, and I'm going to use the word dinosaur here loosely because I don't think it technically fits into the classification of dinosaur that we've been looking at, but it does fit into the wider classification that I mentioned before of the archosaurs. Um, and it is known as the frozen dragon of the north. And that only came out into media, I believe, in the last few weeks as a newly classified creature that is similar to a pterodactyl, but more terrifying in my eyes. I have got a link to, I think there's... Where was it that I found? 
There you go. So I've got National Ge- Geographic as my main link because I thought that was one that everyone could love and trust. Um, please don't hate me. But then um, it's on. It's a number of newspapers um, have written articles on it because me and Mike actually ended up having a conversation when we went to Chester Zoo a number of years ago. They had an exhibit on where they had um, scaled down models of different types of dinosaurs and pterodactyls or that branch of family, because um, I don't think pterodactyl is the branch name. I think that's just the one that everyone remembers the name of. And I kid you not, there was this branch of that sort of pterodactyl type that's beak was bigger than Mike, and Mike's like six foot. This beak yeah. was about six foot five, mm-hmm. six foot seven. And this creature was one third to scale. Wow. I yeah. was like, <laughs> no, thank you. Just on your point about pterodactyl, while um, it is often common that people will like no one dinosaur which is not necessarily the name of that type but uh <laughs> that definitely so ter- pterosaurs are the overall order but this is one of the ones like like ammonites ammonites are in ammonoidia and um i think belemnites are the head of the belemnoids so like they're often because we found something first things have been named after it so the pterodactyl is part of the clade pterodactylidae which is part of the suborder pterodactyloidea so they have just named everything after pterodactyls there. Oh, so wow. I wonder who decided on the name pterodactyl. I wonder what it actually means. Uh, probably something like incredibly frightening bird. It means have you seen the winged scientific- finger. Ah, yes, yes. I knew that, actually. Now you mention it. That's kind of weird. I don't like it. So they like uncanny valley. It's because it, they're, they're, they're skeletons. They have these really long bones that supported mm. the wing, but obviously you don't have the wing itself. And... I think it's also because they think it was like a standard bone that just extended over time to allow them to have the wing. Have you seen the uh, scientific name for the frozen dragon? It's awesome. Cryodracon Boreas. That is really cool. I mean, that was definitely inspired by Game of Thrones. <laughs> it sounds like something that's going to come out of like a fantasy novel and mess yeah. you up. But yeah, so this um, was only recently classified. So I believe uh, September of this year is when it's hit into a lot of the media. So even now, there's a lot of uh, new classifications being made. There's a lot of reclassifications. And like you said, you know, the information we learned when we were younger is constantly changing. So Mm. another thing that I came across when I was looking up for today is that whole debate, you know, like lizards and birds? Yes. Ah, yes. Old feathered dinos. And I came across, so in 1888, there was a gentleman, H. Govia Seeley, something like that. Sorry, me and my pronunciation of words is not great. So please forgive me. Um, But he basically was the person who tried to define them all and a lot and sort of classify um, dinosaurs. And a lot of it was to do with hip location. Okay. So he tried to sort of look at trends and patterns in the dinosaurs that have been found are based on like hip location and would say okay well these are all sort of relative of this because of their hip location and other bone locations these are slightly different one strain was then believed to have then been the ones that evolved into birds and one strain was the ones that then sort of loosely evolved into like, you know, like crocodiles and things that we have today loosely obviously 1800s still figuring things out um and then in 2000 that was sort of loosely believed on and then just built on over the decades into the new century and people kept on sort of chopping and changing it and switching it up as they found new things and they realised 
certain things don't work that way and certain things, you know, with like modern technology now when you can make um, 3D images and make them move, they've realised that certain bone placements they thought, like, actually, it's just not possible. They couldn't walk, they couldn't fly if they had those <laughs> um, placements. <laughs> and then in 2017, um, there was... a M. Barron and Co. So he had like a cohort of people. They wrote an article which actually said that this wasn't the case at all and that all the links were different and they massively contested it and contested the entire sort of definition and classification. So you've got even, you know, two years ago, you've got people that are saying actually a lot of the baseline of what we've got the classification on isn't accurate now that we look at the quote unquote bigger picture and some of the data we've got now. So it opens up like a massive possibility that, you know, in the next couple decades or centuries, whenever, there could be things that we're like in our heads have this image of what this dinosaur is and what they look like and when they lived. And actually they say, no, um, there was a misunderstanding. This wasn't like that. And actually it shouldn't be classified as this. It was a completely different species. The thing is, it's so hard to deal with classification like that. Because, I mean, mm. if you were to, like technically all dogs today are the same species right but if you were to bury them and dig up their bones 20 years from now you'd have so many different you'd classify them as different species so yeah chihuahua and a great dane <laughs> it's so hard to kind of deal with classifications like that you're like you're looking at juveniles or elder ones and you've got you know even when we grow up from a baby to an adult our bones change at least somewhat you know we our skulls fuse and etc so you, you've got to do all of that on something that lived so long ago in the past. You don't really have any analogies. Well, you, I mean, you, you have some analogies, but, you know, you just, it's so hard to kind of classify those things. There's always going to be things that are going to be rediscovered, which is cool. And I think it ties into like a general kind of science point that probably would take up like, you know, full discussion of is maybe a whole podcast in and of itself. I think we might even have it in the list of suggestions talking about like how science works and stuff. This is one of those areas where the public are so naturally interested in it. Mm. Or kids, or you know, whenever you pick it up, you go, oh, dinosaurs are really interesting. You read a load of stuff, you come to it with a load of assumptions based on that. And I think it's, it might even be one of the best ways to explain to an average member of the public who isn't scientifically trained, like why, you know, you know when people say, oh, well, they're always changing their minds about what foods are healthy and stuff. And often that's bad reporting in the media as well. But I think dinosaurs are a really good example of how that works because, you know, we all grew up going, oh, well, dinosaurs, we're not sure if they're cold or warm-blooded. We think they're probably cold-blooded maybe. And then, oh, they, they definitely didn't have feathers. And then, you know, 15, 20 years later, they're like, we're pretty certain they all have feathers. Um, and it really changed because, I mean, like, especially when you have, like, pop culture, um, things like Jurassic Park and so on, like, trying to imagine Jurassic Park with feathered dinosaurs does my head in. I just can't. Um, and, but, but, you know, that would be more accurate. And I, and I think it's really interesting having a thing where people, I don't think people, you know, get up in arms when stuff changes about dinosaurs. They go, Oh, fair enough. They found out something more about dinosaurs. And I think maybe it's a good way to try and explain to people how we keep pushing the boundaries in science because so many things change in all scientific fields, but this is one that's really popular and so can help explain that concept to people. No, that's a good point. That yeah, I think there's that idea that no one was like in uproar when they said dinosaurs had feathers and was like, no, it's absolutely that. But everyone, I think, had a moment where their heads had to readjust. Yeah. To the new information that was coming in, and you're like, 
okay so how how is it supposed to look how is it supposed to work okay weird but i'll try and roll with it looks like a chicken but really big and with big teeth I, you can't not yeah. imagine the chicken can you it's just um i have just put a link quickly as well up to um a thing that kept that also got my attention um about there's a big debate about the bronchiosaurus did it exist didn't it exist it seems to be stuck in that sort of liminal classification hell. That dinosaur has a mullet, and I don't approve. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> who who did that? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm happier with the chicken looking one, to be utterly honest. What did he? <laughs> I was about to say who taxidermied it then, and I caught myself because I was like, well, that'd be quite a trick, wouldn't it? Who <laughs> taxidermied? <laughs> <laughs> that would that would be one hell of a trick. I mean, that is a thing as well because we make assumptions based on the color of their skins. Like partial skin f- fragments have been found of different dinosaur species, but none of them that we could get any pigmentation off at all. You say assume color. We we just guess color, and I suppose there is a little bit of assumption. You might assume that something. Well, usually they try and go for camouflage, don't they? The idea. Yeah, is... that's what I was going to say. Yeah, if you lived in a forest environment, you might be more on the greener, browners, darks. But then, live... birds of paradise. Come on, I live in a forest jungle. What color are you going to be? Bright orange and hot pink. I mean, arguably, T Rex could have been whatever color it wanted to be. If it was like an apex predator, it might not have, you know, depending because if it was uh, attacking really slow herds, maybe it didn't need to be as stealthy as, say, a lion or a tiger do now. Who Ooh, knows? True point. True Bright point. purple T-Rexes or bust. <laughs> yeah, they could have been like um, uh, peacocks strutting around. They sometimes really do um, like remind me, especially like the legs and the bottom build of like someone's just taken an ostrich and done some terrible experiments. <laughs> I mean, maybe someone took a dinosaur and did some terrible experiments and that's how we got an ostrich. I don't know. Have you ever been up close to an ostrich? They're pretty intimidating. <laughs> This is pretty intimidating in all intents and purposes. Well, the ones I'm at. I'm, I'm sure they are. They have these terrifying feet that can just kill a man. That looks like a lot of the stuff that you see for the old. Other. Although, that being said, like, you know, rhinoceroses, obviously a very different sort of type, but there is something about when you see a rhino that just makes you feel like you're looking at something very, very ancient because of it's just the skin type it's got in its build. Or at least I feel that way. Could just be me. Maybe they need to moisturise. There's there's a lot of cre- I mean the thing the thing is it's really interesting with the tricks that the brain can play in that way because you go well crocodiles are fairly unchanged uh, crocodiles and alligators are fairly unchanged to a long way back and and probably give us an idea and probably part of the reason we just assumed dinosaurs had no fur is because well we look at those and go well they're quite similar right but then equally rhinoceroses are a mammal so it must have come about since. And look like, but our brain can like see some. We're so good at finding patterns. Sometimes we find a pattern that isn't necessarily there. Very good point. But yeah, so um, I just say like watch this space with dinosaurs because they're just. It seems to be quite an actively changing field, and I think it'd be a really interesting field because of that. Like some academic fields, you know, they are hashing out some of the same old arguments again and again and again. Whereas I think with like new technologies um, and new discoveries, the paleontology side of things is quite interesting because they're getting opportunities to do stuff that they couldn't before and really sort of 
understand it because especially with a lot of like 3D work and um, cat scanners and things like that where they can sort of scan some of the insides of the bones and get a bit more of an idea of how things were managed on the inside whereas before they used to have to break it up it's like you were saying to me um, there's an area in London where they've got all these um, iguanodons that are put together in the wrong way back in the day I imagine that they very much used the actual bones Yes, yeah. And just yeah, put did. the actual bones together, whereas now, like, if you've gone and seen Stan in Manchester Museum, um, it is a copy of Stan, because the real Stan is kept in temperature-controlled conditions to be studied on and researched. They're not going to glue it together and put metal rods in it, because that will damage the fossil. Therefore, there is a Stan in Argentina, Chile? There's there's a few of them around. There's a few. There's one in Spain. There's Yeah. yeah there's a load. And there's there's a... Is it Sue? There's a female one as well. It's Stan and Sue. Um, she was found somewhere else. But yeah, back, back in the day, they used to just take the bones. Like, oh, we want to find out more about it. Okay, you know, hacksaw it open. Let's see what's inside, which massively limits you. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it was. Um, we're we're fortunate in our timing with this recording that an episode of um, the Infinite Monkey Cage went out on dinosaurs in the last few weeks, and they were discussing it, and they had a paleontologist on who was saying like when she started the idea of taking the bones and putting them in a ct scanner was crazy and now they do that routinely every single fossil they just go and put it in a ct scanner because essentially it's not going to damage the fossil because i mean it is ionizing radiation but they're not alive so it doesn't really matter and you're going to get such detailed information that we we you know it's just foolish not to um so it's stuff like that is changing as well like how we approach the science is not just you know, there's a lot of luck in fossil hunting, but there's also a lot of um, improvement in the techniques as we get better technology. I still totally believe, though, that like back in the day, so um, like pre 1800s, that most people, if you stumbled across, like especially one of the predator dinosaurs, um, if it had its teeth in and that, it is a dragon. Yeah, I think most people. It is a were. dragon. Like, come on, we've all heard the stories. It's a dragon. Yeah, no, I mean, I could 100% believe that stories of dragons were people digging up teeth and stuff like that, being like, well, it's a dragon. What, what else could it be? Thank God that they all got killed. Otherwise, we'd all be burning. <laughs> <laughs> Although I do also think that images of the quote-unquote Loch Ness Monster always look like plesiosaurs. They do. They look yeah, exactly. Like, every time I see it, I'm like, yeah, it's a plesiosaur. Why are people saying there's a plesiosaur? Although... Highly unlikely, but if there's some, like some sort of weird plesiosaur down there, that'd be friggin' awesome. It would be really cool. That would be absolutely amazing. I would be there so fast. <laughs> and then you'd get eaten by said plesiosaur because they were carnivorous. I mean, point made. I mean, I think they ate fish mostly. To be honest, I don't, I don't know, but you might be right. Yeah. I guess it depends how hungry it's feeling. <laughs> That's not true. If a bird only eats seeds, it's not going to eat a mouse just because it's a bit more hungry. It's going to die. That's true. But listen, if I need to do it for science so we can draw a line and know the answer, then, you know, these things, they, they need to be done. Quickly, <laughs> to the Scottish government. <laughs> um, so we were talking about how science can change. And um, you mentioned earlier a book that you found was... Um, whose name I've already forgotten, it's in the show notes, um, What on Earth Happened. What on Earth Happened, yeah. And um, that sounds like a very good overview. Uh, one book that I have got that I would really recommend is called T-Rex and the Crater of Doom 
Um, yeah. Love it already. Yeah, which is uh, written by Professor Walter Alvarez, who was um, responsible for the Alvarez hypothesis, which is the story that I think most people now accept of a, a meteor, uh, well, an asteroid impact being the cause of the extinction event that wiped out the dinosaurs. And it's just so well written because he is a, I mean, he, he is a professor, he's a scientist, but um, the way it's written is very, it's not in, this is written as a pop culture, pop sci um, book for people. And it's full of good metaphors, analogies, and... It's user-friendly. Yeah, it's a very good piece of science writing for the average reader and talks about, you know, basically how they came to settle on this hypothesis. It talks about stuff like the the KT boundary. We were talking about, like, how layers of rock exist. The KT boundary is this very obvious boundary in the rock 65 million years ago, which made people go, well, something must have happened. Mm. And there were competing theories. And one of the previous uh, mass extinction events were... Is that is it the Tunguska, or am I getting that confused, Wade? Uh, there's, there's loads of... What's the one with the? What's the one where Russia was basically just volcanoes? Oh, that's the Siberian traps or the Deccan traps. Oh, I've never. I want to say that, that was Permian Triassic awesome. boundary. I want to. That say. sounds about right. Basically, the entirety of like just imagine if all of Russia was just constant volcanoes and the amount of stuff that would spew out into the atmosphere and the effect that would have on on all life, and that's why they think um, there was such a massive extinction at the end of the Permian. Do you think it was to do with the boundary movements? Because we obviously know that the plates have moved and that land masses have changed and moved. So I wonder if like a massive amount of volcanoes like that going off at the same time are somehow linked to that movement. I would have to look into it. Um... It's super interesting, though. Like I know vaguely some of the theories. I don't know any in any detail. I remember watching a documentary of Unknown Type where they were... Um, drilling into the arctic ice and they would take samples from the arctic ice and that would tell them they were able to do like what was in the air at the time oh yeah so yeah, they could yeah. go back by periods of time because like for one example there was um one that was like pollution and something you could see the the levels of um smoke and all that sort of stuff in the ice um, and they were going further and further back so that sort of like building on almost like the idea of that laid up in the period of time if there was loads of volcanoes going off then whatever was in the atmosphere was captured within the ice the problem is you won't be able to go back that far because in the cretaceous period there was pretty much no ice on earth pretty much like there will have been some but damn it cretaceous yeah the cretaceous was a really hot period like the sea levels were the highest they've ever been um there was essentially no permanent ice as i say there would have been a little bit maybe a little bit of the polar extremes, but nothing on the scale that we have now. That makes complete sense as to why, obviously, um, dinosaurs are assuming, you know, reptilian um, and have the habits of reptiles that we have today would have thrived in particular. So that makes sense. Uh, some real-time follow-up. I looked up the Siberian traps and there's two competing theories as to how they happened. Uh, one is that the volcanic plume that causes Iceland today was underneath mainland Russia at the time, well, Siberia, and so caused it to happen as it moved underneath the plate. And the other one is that there was a crater in Antarctica that is almost directly opposite, and they think that might have possibly caused it as well. Both of those are really cool theories. 
And the other thing that is absolutely staggering is that the um, eruptions continued for two million years, roughly. Yeah, it's mad. Just Bloody that's crazy. <laughs> How did anything survive? Yeah, I mean, most of it didn't. But yeah, no, nothing. <laughs> there oh, there survived. you go. Then that'll do it. That'll do yeah. it. I think it was only stuff. Really, there was like a couple of land things, but it was most of the stuff that survived was the stuff in the sea. Okay, because I remember reading about I think it was on that What on Earth happened where they were basically saying like there were periods of time where the oxygen levels were really high, things were able to grow really large, and then the atmosphere changed, and the only things that survived were the smaller ones that depended on a very different ratio. So I imagine this is a similar thing. I said the only things that survive are things that aren't that dependent on oxygen that and can survive even when there's all this volcanic ash going into the air i just had a quick look look at um the the page on the permian triassic extinction oh yeah me event. too i was about to correct yeah. my mistake yes <laughs> but the end of the permian is the largest known mass extinction of insects and in fact according to some sources the only insect mass extinction so insects have been fine with everything else but they just couldn't deal with that like oh well it's the largest really known mass extinction on earth isn't it as well i think so yeah and we, yeah, here we go. Ninety up to ninety-six percent of all marine species and seventy percent of terrestrial vertebrate. All Bloody gone. hell! Passel. Nothing. Bloody hell! It's just yeah. These things are mind-boggling to a human mind. Like, have they still got the theory about the possible like virus disease, or has that been ruled out? Do you know? Because that was something that I heard of when I was younger, but I don't know if it was one that had got any sort of weight behind it or if someone had been like nah there's nothing to suggest that you know it would seem unlikely i mean think how many diseases like there are and like they might affect like a couple of species or be able to cross go across in similar groups but there are, how many diseases do you know that affect like more than 20 species i can't think i don't think that would really be a plausible answer yeah no that that makes a point because most of the diseases that do have these they're still contained within a certain area so or like you said like a species or something so the idea of it getting all the way across to absolutely everything doesn't make sense especially if then it's going cross species from dinosaurs to other um not true dinosaurs and insects I love how the image on that crater of Doom, though, kind of looks like the T-Rex is about to fire a laser out of its mouth. <laughs> I'm a charging <laughs> laser. I just keep looking at it. <laughs> it's just like... It wasn't an asteroid that made the crater, it was a T-Rex. I think there's a soft spot for T-Rexes as well, just because of those derpy arms. Yeah. I mean, it leads to so much good humour. There's an auto predator that is terrifying that has one feature about them that is almost laughable. <laughs> I've got a giant head and tiny arms. Well, that's it. It's like you look at like a tiger and stuff. There's just not that much laughable. You're just like, oh, it's just terrifying. Kind of cute, but terrifying. Whereas, like you said, you know, giant head, giant teeth, tiny little head. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had, again, while we were on the subject, I had a quick look. So, Chicxulub uh, Impact is the most likely, which is the crater of doom, the most likely cause, we think, for the end of the dinosaurs. The other things are there could have been more than one um, meteorite over several, you know, meteorite or asteroid over a period of time. Um, Deccan traps. Uh, there's a thing about the sea level falling, and then some people have just said multiple causes, which you know seems likely. It seems likely that multiple things happened. What is a long period of time? 
oh, yeah, long they period didn't of time we're talking about. They didn't. Yeah, it wasn't like in you know six months. No, no, it's a it's a thin line on a geological piece of on a piece of rock, but rock is not laid down quickly. So, well, I mean, the the KT boundary you were on about was laid down really quickly because that that has a high concentration of iridium, which is one of the like key indicators that there was a extraterrestrial impactor because iridium is bloody rare on Earth, um, and you certainly wouldn't find it across the entire world at the same date. So. Like that is a really big indicator that something big went bloop, into the into the earth. It probably sounded a little bit different from that, you know, but we don't know for sure. <laughs> Slightly less intimidating when it goes. Yeah. Bloop. We don't know for sure though, because no one was there. Um, <laughs> but that that was laid down really quick because that would have been like, I'm not talking like you know minutes, but all of the stuff that would have gone up into the air that would have come down in a matter of tens hundreds of years so that's that's quite a thin layer i mean i'm going to be putting all of this into the the show notes because it is super interesting um but like there's just so so much in here that i've not because i've not studied this directly that i've not read so like 80 percent of turtle species were wiped out by that but all of the turtle families survived so we have living relatives of all turtle families today nobody's held darwin That's just really cool. <laughs> oh yeah, Dar- Darwin tried his best to make them all extinct, I know. But <laughs> yeah, he, he worked hard on that, my friend. No, that is really cool. It's like the whole crocodile thing. Like A few weeks ago, actually, before I even um, asked to see if I could come on this, um, me and Mike were talking about, again, it's not a, not a dinosaur, but, you know, just in general, um, the... <sighs> what's the one that's the giant shark and it begins with M? Mega- Megalodon. Yeah. Megalodon? Yeah, so it looks like if you sort of strap eight like giant white sharks together with gaffer tape, um, I think it's even larger. But we were end up talking about this, um, just for like size and shape, and we just ended up looking at like the different sizes and species, um, that were around compared to sizes and species that are around today, and sort of some of them and how they look. we believe they look to be very similar to species we've got today. And like you said, it's a thing of sometimes your mind finds patterns and it's like, have we just assumed that they kind of look like these? Or are the creatures that we have today actually direct descendants of, you know, this 4% that toughed it through and survived? Yeah, it's it's just so interesting. Like, I, I could read facts about, like, evolution and, and, and all this proof we have <laughs> for... for uh, you know, all day if I had the time. <laughs> it's, yeah, I find it fascinating. It's really cool. So, we've glossed over um, some different elements of science. There may be paleontologists out there who are just cringing at some of the things. But, you know, provide us with sources, we will read them. Or drink them. <laughs> I think it's time to move on to... The big one, Jurassic Park. I mean, it is one of my favourite pieces of music. Yeah, but we saw it with the Halle Orchestra and it was like, oh, oh I just got so excited. I just saw it with Orchestra and I'm like, really jealous. It's like the thing it is, it's, it's brilliant. I, I'd love to do like a Jurassic Park, like just watch them all 
like a day, you know, in cinema and just having like the intros and the music done by like an orchestra. It'd be amazing. And all the scenes are done with real life animatronics. <laughs> oh, I don't think I'm ready for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I just pterodactyls freak me out. That's all right. They only appear in number three. So um, Jurassic Park. What was your introduction to Jurassic Park? I might, might be a good question to put to people. I don't know. Probably saw it on Channel 4. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember it being awesome when I watched it. I remember watching it and it being awesome but terrifying. And then I remember watching it again and again and again because it used to be on quite a lot. I mean, it is a scary film as a kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, yeah, yeah. It was like, I, it proper scared me. Like, there's bits where, like, some of the people died and I was, like, utterly terrified. Um, and just the idea, like, the idea of them getting out as well. So I can't remember which one it is. I think it's in the third one that the pterodactyls get out and yeah. they're just flying away from the island. And I'm like, oh, my God, can you imagine you're just at home in your garden next thing you know, that's there. That's horrifying. And some of the water ones as well, like, I'm going to call them water dinosaurs. I know it's the wrong title, but I don't know what the, the correct title would be for them. But yeah, like the Mosiosauruses and stuff, it's like just just the, the size of them, the sheer, absolutely terrifying. And I used to always think, I think it was the second film, do you know where the little girl gets attacked by Velociraptors? Consignathus, which is actually the opening of the book, the Jurassic Park book. Uh, and they just were like, we're going to use that now as the opening of the second one. <laughs> I always thought she died. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Only when I was an adult, I realised that she survived. As a kid, I was convinced she died, and that really, like, it was, like, my least favourite part of the entire thing, because it used to scare me the most. Because I, I could be that child. I am <laughs> a child. I would feed small things bacon. <laughs> yeah, so like, it's only when I watched her as an adult, I was like, oh, shit, she didn't die. Like, for years, I used to get really upset, because I thought she died. Yeah, that's revealed when John Hammond's in the caravan and he goes, oh, she's fine, she's fine. But as a kid, you, you don't pay attention to dialogue, you pay attention to massive dinosaurs. So yeah, it goes over your head. I think the idea of, like, a pack of dinosaurs, because, like, in the first one, it's very much, you know, the T-Rex, the one, the big one that's that's intimidating. And obviously, but then you get the Velociraptors doing more and more, and there's that sort of hunting pack mentality that's kind of scary in a different way. It's like, yeah, you think you could take one, but can you take like four? And oh, actually, they're quite smart. That's a different kind of scary. Yeah, I mean, the the, the intelligence of the velociraptors in, in that film is definitely what is scary about. It. They're like, this the bit where you're like, okay, we're humans, we've escaped to a place, we know what we're doing. Like, this is not your standard TV monster that you expect to be able to open doors or something. And then they open the doors and they're like, oh, they they've learned how to open door. That bit just scared me as a kid. I, I just want to briefly go back to how I came across Jurassic Park because I just remember absolutely pestering my parents on a holiday to the Isle of Wight when I must have been <laughs> good place I must have been three or four when it came oh, out oh that's young to watch yeah, like, that so, well, so that's the thing I couldn't go watch it they were like there's absolutely no way but I knew my parents had gone to watch it and they got me to their credit like they were cutting the, all the clippings out of all the newspapers about dinosaurs uh, I think it was like the sun or the mirror or some other paper we never bought had had something on offer which was like some toys they collected all the tokens for me to get the toy Aww. and all of that so i had all of the stuff 
but like basically it was like I'd gone to the toy shop in Jurassic Park and bought all those things or at least that's how I remember it but I hadn't seen the film and it wasn't until Christmas a few years later when it finally came on TV that I was like I have to watch it and I was absolutely terrified I <laughs> I was I was I I I couldn't go to sleep because I was scared of the dinosaurs coming to get me in my sleep and my dad was like you know they've been dead for millions of years and I'm like yeah, I'm still scared. <laughs> and, and my dad ended up convincing me by telling me that, so you know how at the end the T-Rex turns up and saves the day and is essentially the good guy dinosaur, <laughs> which is kind of funny, really. Um, my dad convinced me that there was an imaginary T-Rex that lived in our garden and defended our house from velociraptors. And that was the only way I got oh, to sleep. <laughs> that's adorable. Spoilers for Lost World. That is adorable. Yeah, I would never let like a really young kid watch Jurassic Park. Like, oh. I think I probably watched it when my parents weren't sure, weren't around or something. It must have just been on TV. And I was like, oh, cool. Because like, it's a really good film, but it's it's definitely got some really scary ones. Although, to accredit itself, the animatronics that is held up really well. Oh, my God. Like, it's the graphics are so good. What's funny is the, the worst, possibly the worst bit of CG, and it's only because it's been pointed out to me, is the bit where um, the girl fall, almost falls through the roof. And it's not her, it's a gymnast, and they superimposed her on it. Like, the jankiest bit of CG is them trying to do a human, and not actually <laughs> one of the dinosaurs. That's hilarious. In part, Jurassic Park, though, was such a success, because it just sort of played on that that whole thing, you know, that... I'm sure you've covered in some of the other topics you've done or will cover in some of the other topics that, you know, people playing God and people getting cocky with things and it going out of hand. Yeah, the, the core story is all about that. Yeah, and I think that sort of hits a nerve with people, especially since uh, when this came out, you know, very different thing. Obviously, I am not saying Dolly the Sheep is a threat to humanity or <laughs> that she is terrifying. But, you know, it's that idea of, is it a realm of possibility? Would someone try to do it? And and your head kind of just goes into this place where it starts imagining it. And it just sort of is, it opens up a very interesting conversation. In no way do I think people are going to start like bringing dinosaurs back. But I think that was kind of part of the interest. I mean, they're certainly not going to do it by using dino DNA trapped in mosquitoes because biting <laughs> insects didn't exist back then. <laughs> God damn it, man, you're ruining everything. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. Damn science ruined our chance of being eaten alive by dinosaurs. I um, know, right? You have a dream. and <laughs> As I say, talking of that kind of narrative of, of playing God, you know, we mentioned the compies attacking the girl. In the, in the book, which I then went and read quite a lot later, once I'd recovered from being scared of dinosaurs, um, <laughs> in the book, so, that, so firstly, the book is full of, it, it's very well written in a sci-fi way in that it's full of just, just that twist on actual science to the point where I think there's one bit where you turn over the page and there's just a load of DNA like printed out just as like to make the point like it's quite interesting um but it has an opening scene where a girl gets attacked by a compi but not on the main I think I think it's the idea that like they stop on an island rich parent she gets attacked like in Lost World and that leads to the two paleontologists kind of finding out about it and that's kind of how they start to go oh what's going on over there which leads to why they get invited over to Jurassic Park but also at the end, the end is a bit more um, fire and brimstone. I think they, I think they napalm it. I think that's actually what happens to the island in the book. I can't remember exactly. But as part of his comeuppance, um, ha Hammond gets stuck on the island, falls over, and then gets eaten by the compies. Takes the death of the dude from number two, who I can't remember. Yes, 
Yeah, there's some random guy dies in that way in the Lost World. But basically, yeah, they took both of those bits in the Lost into the Lost World movie. But in the book, they're there in the original book, which is kind of yeah plays more into that kind of don't play God, you'll get your comeuppance kind of narrative. I should definitely read the book. It's very good. Um, all of um, Michael Crichton's books are pretty good in that kind of way. I mean, some of them more ridiculous. I think one of them is about that that you know that idea of a molecule you drop in the ocean and it will freeze all the oceans. Like there's, it's it's a sci-fi. Like I think someone suggested it at one point in a non-serious way, and people went, "Oh, a scientist said it." Um, but like he did books like that, which were really good, like kind of sci-fi, but in our world. I wonder how many more paleontologists were created after Jurassic Park. Like within the sort of following decade, I wonder how many more people were sort of actively looking to become paleontologists. Probably a lot more. How many became yeah. paleontologists is a very different question. It is, but I imagine the numbers were still higher because I can't imagine, I don't know personally of anything in some sort of, say, maybe the 50s onwards that would have created some sort of boom in dinosaurs, people wanting to know more about them. To my knowledge, there was no like massive significant finds that created an uproar. You know, like in the sort of 20s, you've got the whole... Um, Egyptology and finding Tutankhamun and you know that created a boom in Egyptology and then you have other periods of time where something big happens or something's found and everyone gets kind of interested in it. I wonder just off Jurassic Park how many young people got really interested into it and then decided they wanted to become paleontologists or an object like geologists you know it's they'll start being looking at dinosaurs they'll first look at geology and then they'll decide actually they keep on a Looking to geology, it's probably got a more steady income than paleontology. I mean, possibly. I mean, uh, there are more probably more day to day jobs in geology, I would assume, than there are in paleontology. But geology is quite a broad church. Um, but also, oil and gas exists, so in some ways, you are doing paleontology. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, for reference, Wade, um, you do, you're a geologist, like as your actual job, right? So, well, I mean, to some degree, to some I will degree. be more of a geophysicist soon. I found a link to an NPR article talking about that, and many paleontologists today are part of the Jurassic Park generation. So I, I, it's not necessarily saying that there were more of them, but, but they're kind of in this golden age where loads of people who are inspired by that kind of thing are there. So that's, that's cool. I'm not sure 100% why I took geology A-level, other than I needed one that wasn't like the core three I needed to get to uni. And I knew the teacher was good. Um, I suppose helped, but definitely the fact that you got to do one of the six modules was paleontology. Turns out, not really on the dinosaur side of things. Uh, AS paleontology was mostly trilobites and graptolites and ammonoids, but um, it was still interesting because I've been collecting fossils as a kid, like every year since I can remember with my dad. So, yeah, I definitely think stuff like that helps people go into those kind of careers. Yeah, this one definitely suggests that there's a number of people who are all sort of looking for the opportunity to to find more and go more out into the field. There's a number of people that have got the PhD and are all sort of trying to get on the different digs and get on the different areas to to do the classifications because I imagine obviously the digs are going to be controlled by whoever owns the land and you'd have to be associated with whatever universities or um, companies to get the access to the technologies to study the bones. They do say they've got like a significant number of people. So I imagine if it's maybe not like loads more, that it 
has sort of just become maybe steadied itself out after a dip. I honestly don't know in the 1970s who was going, oh, I really want to be a paleontologist when I grow up. Do you reckon that number's decreased uh, after Jurassic World? Oh, I don't say that. I really liked, I know it's controversial. I liked the first one. Don't don't ask me too much about the second one. Seeing the, fir- the first Jurassic World made me go, ooh, like, like there were definitely bits in there that tugged at my nostalgia, but I didn't decide to go see the second one. So I suppose that's probably the summary of my feeling. I think that's a solid choice. Like the ending of the second one, I was just like, what? Like, really? So answer me this about, I haven't seen the second one. Was it based on the same island as the first one? Uh, no. So the second one played up more of the um, idea of the military. Right. Because I know there's a volcano. That's, that's what I was getting at. It's like, that- so, so yes, the idea was um, the volcano was erupting. So... Um, they were trying to save some of the dinosaurs on there because there were people that were very upset that the dinosaurs were going to go extinct again after they'd given them life. Um, a number of dinosaurs were rescued, um, but the main theme of it was the military and um, a black market in selling dinosaur genetics and modified dinosaurs. So if you remember the two dodgy people in... Um, Jurassic World. I do. One of them got eaten. Yeah, one got eaten, but the people he was working for and then the scientist was sort of looking at like creating dinosaurs that could go into military situations. And they were also looking at having dinosaurs as like herder animals. So a bit like if you ever played D&D, like Beast of Burden. But then it kind of got a bit silly. Even for Jurassic Park, I will say, it got a bit silly. Like the new dinosaur they created was pretty scary. But I just, I had just such a big issue with the ending. And I'm open to a lot of cheesy endings. Like a cheesy ending or something like that doesn't usually bother me. I'm totally happy with it. But I was just like, that's stupid. There's just no other word for it than stupid. But yeah, it it does play much more on the idea of like people messing with the genetics, you know, design your own dinosaur. And I definitely think that could be an interesting thing to explore. I just don't necessarily think that first film filled with confidence that they're going to handle that in a interesting sci-fi way it's kind of it's very much become an action series which is not what the first one was i did really like the first that um oswell though i thought it had some really nice nods to the old films i thought it did some interesting stuff with the new dinosaurs um the mesiosaurus was terrifying it's like oh good god but at the same time, you do just sit there and go, really? Who allowed this? Really? What's wrong with you all? I think the state of uh, modern action movies is a whole podcast in and of itself. But it's a shame that a, a series like, I would love if they kept turning out films that made me feel like 75% of what the first Jurassic Park film. I mean, essentially, Lost World, it wasn't amazing, but it had that silly bit of the T-Rex. I always forget that the T-Rex goes rampant in New York at the end. In a very Godzilla way. <laughs> Lost World was, was a pretty good film until that point. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I think I could watch the first like eighty percent of Lost World and be happy and just turn it off. <laughs> so. See, I quite like the third one, apart from the woman who I'm like, just please let her die. And I know that's a harsh thing to say, but she just screams so much that I'm just like, just, just knock her out or something, please. Just shh. she just plays into a particular trope, and it's not particularly great. And Sam Neill's great in that though. Like, kind of. Pulled back out of toad retirement, as it were, um, to be thrown. Yeah, he's great in that. So I think that probably lifts it. 
the third Jurassic Park movie was them finally scraping the barrel of the books because, like, I think that's where they use the last bit from the fir- from the from the book because there are two books, Jurassic Park and Lost World, but there are loads of scenes in Lost World and the third one that come from the first book still. So, like, you know, the T Rex putting its head through the waterfall that's actually in the first Jurassic Park book and not in the Lost World one. Visually, that's quite nice. Yeah, it's a really cool scene, and I understand why they didn't do it because they like streamlined the plot a bit because there's a lot of. Run, walking around that is unnecessary in the book. I mean, it's, it's necess- it seems necessary in the book, but if you were to put it on screen, you understand why they cut it. And, and I think the final scene is the the bit with the the giant like aviary with the pterodactyls. That bit is in the first book, at least in part. So I think I was like they finally like, oh we're out of bits from the books. So I'm not surprised that it was a bit meh after that. All I remember about the third one is the um, the dude who got eaten by the big spinosaurus. And his mobile goes off inside the Spinosaurus. And that's how they know the Spinosaurus is coming. <laughs> Have either of you played the uh, recent game that came out? Oh, uh, what, the one the where you, one build you your own... make a park? Yes. Actually, I have not. not. But I have seen a lot of Let's Plays on YouTube. <laughs> We've played the uh, board game equivalent. I, I have not played it, but I am ready for that. Me and Mike actually played it together. We've not got that far into it, but um, we got to the bit where you have to introduce velociraptors to the park. Oh dear. Velociraptors maybe weren't that bad, but I feel like between Jurassic Park and they've got a really bad rep, and we called ours Velociricky, and he just, oh, so bad. Because the idea is that if they get out and they injure people, you then have to pay for insurance claims for the injured people, which, you know, is fair if I got injured by a dinosaur. I'd probably claim on insurance. But it got to the point where you couldn't fund the park, so he just stood there with this hole in a gate that the Velociraptor's created, and he's just trying to trank the Velociraptor for long enough so that he's paid off his insurance claims so he can afford a new gate. <laughs> Keep it at bay for three more months, Barry! <laughs> like, Velociraptor, you stop This will stop come it. up in your peer review! You'll do great! <laughs> it was just so stressful. But those bits where, like... You have like people in cars and you have to go out to the dinosaurs. And I was like, that's terrifying. I know there's people that do that in zoos, but for some reason it just seems even more terrifying when it's like dinosaur. Probably a more apt thing would be people who do it in safaris, like game rangers. Yes, that is definitely a more apt comparison. People who go around with guns making sure lions aren't being killed with guns and then get killed by lions even though they have guns. Yeah, no, I definitely recommend the game. It's it's pretty interesting. It's got like a couple different build options things. And you can sort of genetically not engineer, but you're trying to like take different bones and fossil samples to create the dinosaurs and then they get different like skin patterns and stuff, which I think is really interesting. Ah. Because obviously we have no idea what the skin patterns are. So as they touched on in Jurassic Park, you know, they do talk about the fact that it's kind of, they believe it would have had this type, so they have designed it to have that type. Designer dinosaurs. So the question I want to ask here about that game is, can I have a purple T-Rex? I've not got that far into it, but I wonder, because you can definitely get different skin types, but they're like preset skin types. I don't know if you can get to a stage where you can completely decide the skin type. Are you going to call it Barney? (laughs) oh god yes that'll take all the fear out of it or give a new fear to barney i don't know (laughs) (laughs) barney's wading through people oh no barney stop 
just this idea of just Barney just like just absolutely destroying some goats because they have the thing where you like feed them goats and I felt really sad because I was like oh no because you have like a little thing and you let a goat out and the goat runs and you're like oh no I kind of want the goat to live <laughs> this feels cruel I only have one more thing I want to add on Jurassic Park discussion before maybe moving on to pop culture dinosaurs of note such as Barney um but <laughs> s- s- similar to the uh the fact that uh, the the story I told earlier I remember distinctly on a holiday somewhere with dad and I think maybe it was when I read Jurassic Park the book so I would have been a fair bit older but still I think I think I was just end of junior school or maybe I read it in junior school but I I remember having a discussion where I was like dad like in the Lost World film they have you see pterodactyls right at the end and then you see them properly in the third third film and I was like but dad if they've got pterodactyls they can fly they could just leave the island and my dad drew me this pretty bad terrible sketch of the two islands with a with with the pterodactyl trying to fly and, and then so I was he was like dad was like reasonably they probably can't fly across the entire ocean and I went fair enough and then he was like I was like but what about going to the other island why didn't we see them in the first film other than budget um, and dad was like oh no well look uh, draws a little tiny stick pterodactyl and then draws a line like showing it struggling to get across the ocean to the other island and i was like okay but but let's say you know it's early in the morning it's had a load of food and it's it's gone and flown to to, to isla nubla and dad's like okay fine 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 and just draws a t-rex on the other island he's like and then they get eaten by the t-rex <laughs> <It's> like, <"Case> <laughs> closed. <laughs> every one of them just flew straight into the t-rex's mouth yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. just sat there like ah here comes my morning meal <laughs> Another tired pterosaur. I always feel for the herbivores. They get such a short end of the stick. They presumably have to make up for it by breeding like rabbits, just like in, you know. I don't know, because some of them are like, like you were saying before, you know, some of them, from what we can tell, had like quite substantial defense mechanisms. Oh, yeah, yeah. That meant they probably didn't have to breed as heavily. And also some of them weren't around at the same time as some of the significant predators. Yeah, that probably does help. So, like, whilst I assume they would have had some form of predator... They weren't all necessarily fighting at the same time with those with those specific predators. Um, I've also linked you to apparently a version of the purple dinosaur. Yes, I saw that called Omega O Nine. Wow, I mean that looks a bit goofy. Just a touch. He looks like he's got lava coming out of his back, which is just not right. He doesn't, however, have a mullet, so I'm putting him one step above the mullet dinosaur that you linked earlier on. That looks like Monster Hunter does T Rex. He looks a bit like a punk. Erect. He's got spikes here, he's got spikes there. His front teeth are really short and it's really like unintimidating. Yeah, so moving on from Jurassic Park and all of the surrounding media that's built up over the years, there must be other dinosaurs of note beyond, besides Barney, who I think probably isn't worth mentioning really, other than to, to joke about. Um, are there What other dinosaur things in pop culture did you really enjoy or want to take the mick out of? The Land Before Time. Oh, yes. Oh, I cried as a child. I mean, don't go wrong. I'll look back on that. Uh, You don't need to. It's not worth it. (laughs) The first one is is all right. The other, like, 16 movies were unnecessary. (laughs) Land Before Time. Actually, now the land almost in the present time because there are so many of them. Yeah, no, I, I remember that. And that is also another movie that had a good use of scary T-Rex because they're like baby dinosaurs and like, you know, in, in, in the traditional kind of cartoon style, they're like 
oh, we're going to just have tectonic plates happen in like a matter of minutes. Um, and, and that causes them to go on an adventure to find this like promised land. But there's definitely a lot of really creepy scenes of T-Rex like Shadow, which is really good. Scary as a kid, but definitely, you know, went on. Had 13 direct-to-video sequels. Good there were 14 of this film. What? Grief. And my brother watched most of them. I should know I had to sit through them. I don't think there were that many other dinosaur things that I really watched. I mean, I watched Ice Age, but in no way am I comparing the two. It's got something that's almost like an ichthyosaur, but, you know, that's not even a proper dinosaur. So that is like taking a stretch and running with it. They had dinosaurs in the Flintstones. True that. Yabba dabba doo. True that they did, and they were they were lovely. They were, and maybe that's why I thought cavemen and dinosaurs were around at the same time. You know what? Bet you that is. Did you um ever watch uh dinosaurs? I think it was just called Dinosaurs, which was the the like people in suits comedy oh, show God. by I think it was Disney. <laughs> And like it has like the most dystopian final episode because it's just like they get wiped out, they become extinct. I mean, I'm googling this now. I've watched. I think I've seen like one or two episodes, and I really didn't like it. Oh, good lord! Oh, that's not right. Oh, I really don't like that at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's really weird. Oh, that's really not what I expected when you described that. Oh, no, that's they're really like creepy. horrifying puppets, <laughs> and they've got that's human teeth. Really creepy. Oh, that's messed up. But the intro in the show notes so everyone can enjoy. I mean, I'm trying to think. I just thought life. of something and it's just gone because I've seen that picture and gone, oh, sweet lord. Yoshi. Yoshi's a dinosaur. Yoshi is a dinosaur. Power Rangers. Oh, and yeah. Pow- oh, yeah. The- Power Ranger Zords. Yeah. The Zords in the original Power yeah. Rangers. You're right. Triceratops. I don't know if that was his um, Rex from Toy Story. Yes. He is a toy dinosaur, but he is indeed a T Rex. <laughs> Voiced by everyone's favourite inconceivable actor. Really? Yeah, that's yeah, it's the same guy. Right, so I, I've just Googled, like, and I want a thing called 10 Favourite Pop Culture Dinosaurs. Okay. So the num- the top one is Rex from Night in the Museum, but that's just a fossil dinosaur. I don't count that. Then you've got Baby Dinosaurs, Barney, the Flintstones. Grumpy Land of the Lost. What on earth is that? <laughs> I do not remember that at all. I, mean, I have no idea what it is. It uh, just says his, his fights with that other dinosaur, Alice, were less scary than interesting slash trippy to watch, like pretty much everything else on that show. See, I've had, like, King Kong appear. Like, what? Godzilla! Godzilla! Oh, How yeah, the Zill. How could we Godzilla? Yeah, God's, Godzilla's <laughs> definitely, Zill. like... I mean, he's not ever specifically stated to be a particular type of dinosaur, but he's essentially a radioactive dinosaur. Yeah, no, he hits, like, enough of the boxes... For dinosaurness. Why? Oh, oh, right. Okay, okay. Um, Firefly. The two dinosaurs in Firefly. So I googled how this came up was I googled pop culture dinosaurs, and then it was like suggestions, and one of them was betrayal, and I was like, what pop culture dinosaurs betrayal? And then it showed, <laughs> and then it showed me like two hands, one holding a stegosaurus and one holding a T Rex. Oh yes, sorry. Yeah. So it's um in the in the sci-fi show Firefly. Yes. Um, I think it's in the opening, like, establishing shot of that character, Wash, the pilot. Yeah. And he's, like, oh, playing with dinosaurs. He's playing oh, with yeah. them. You betrayed me. Curse your son, yet inevitable betrayal. <laughs> we shall rule over all this land, and we shall call it this land. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think this is that many. I think Jurassic Park's definitely the one in front. Although, um, I've not watched it properly, but it has been on my to-watch list. Uh, the BBC did a number of uh, shows that were like Walking with Dinosaurs and things oh, like that. Oh, yeah. And some of them that. look very good and sort of very detailed and they've done like a couple more and stuff and they, they do look really interesting. I remember watching those when they came out, actually. So that's like something that I think is pretty good and it's also got like, it's a bit more factual than say, you know, that Dinosaurs TV show that I just, it's just messed up. Yeah, no, I mean, it is. It's an American sitcom where the twist is they're dressed as dinosaurs, pretty much. They're not even dinosaurs, though. They're just people in suits, I know. (laughs) They're like weird sort of frog, crocodile humanoids. It's all kind of wrong. I I did think of um, two more examples that jumped out, and I had had to Google this one to find the trailer. So this, I hadn't realised... Like, as a kid, I don't have a good memory of this. I just remember it being on probably ITV. Turns out it was on ABC in the US. Um, but it was Dino- a show called Dinotopia. Oh, you just reminded me of another show. But carry on. I mean, this is how this goes. Dinotopia, which is like, I can't remember the exact setup, but basically it's a world where there are dinosaurs and humans living alongside each other. And I feel like the main character falls into this world through a magical portal or something to explain how he got there. Um, but I remember watching that. I don't think there were many episodes of it, but I definitely watched it. I totally would have watched that as a kid. It looks semi-decent. It's got a very old world feel to it. Yeah, and it had David Thewlis in it, so he's always quite good. Right, you reminded me of Prime Evil. Yes. Which was awful and had the girl from... Steps? Steps or S Club 7 in it. (gasps) And Charlie Brooker describes it very amusingly. Oh my god! <laughs> just, just just watching this primeval thing, like confused. <laughs> if you, I mean, it, it's it's more fun if you listen to it as well. <laughs> I only linked the Charlie Brooker one because I just love Charlie Brooker, and he. I don't know when Charlie Brooker made this. Oh, back in two thousand and seven, apparently. There's also um, uh, Dinobots from Transformers. Oh yeah, Dinobots. I like. I love Jurassic Park. I've got a soft spot for Jurassic Park. Always will. But like, the thing that fascinates me about dinosaurs is just kind of like the puzzle aspect of it. Like the whole like trying to figure it out and also just this idea that when you have to realise like how different time is. So you have this idea of your own time span. You have this idea of um, your families and your friends in the sort of generational time span. And then you start getting more and, sort of, more and more out of that when you look at history. But everyone sort of... At least in the UK, you learn about the Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians, you know, things like that. And then dinosaurs just sort of seems like a little bit further away. And when you actually start digging into it, it just gets, there's so many more layers to it. That's true. You don't really learn anything between like ancient people and dinosaurs. Yeah, I didn't even learn, I didn't learn dinosaurs in school. Did you not? No. No, I don't think it was a, like, I learned a lot about dinosaurs while I was of school age. But the only thing I learned about, the only official thing I ever did was, as I say, that AS module in paleontology. Oh, I mean, I'm not sure if we ever got taught dinosaurs, but we were definitely introduced to them as an idea. Yeah, like I remember doing the Greeks and the Romans and Tudors and all this and other, but I think when you start like getting into that detail of these giant kind of lizards that used to roam around where, you know, we've now got a KFC 
<laughs> he's just baffling to the head. Their ancestors. No, they're but it, it makes descenders. I think it makes you sort of look at the world differently and not in a bad way. Because it sort of takes you outside of that comfort zone. And, you know, like you said a bit before about science and something that you're probably going to touch on later, you know, there's a lot of areas where it's changing, it's contested, it's very fluid. And again, that makes you look at things in a different way. There are certain things that a lot of people, they learn at school as history and they take it as a given that that is that. Whereas, like you said, dinosaurs, you know, if it changes and they're like, oh, actually, it's this, everyone goes, oh, right, so now it's this. And they switch the way they think. And I think that's just, like, it's just so interesting. And I think that having looked through these, I'd say so far, it was like Jurassic Park's probably the one that's done it maybe the best to try and get across some of those ideas of dinosaurs. I think, I think, I think the thing with Jurassic Park is they really did try to make a, not only a good movie, but a movie that did its best to involve the science as much as it could. Like, I think that really kind of close sci-fi is often the best. It's why I really like hard sci-fi when we're talking, you know, going out to space. I mean, I love Star Trek as well, but there's a, in Star Trek, they just spin off gobbledygook every week and that explains the plot. But in there are some really good hard sci-fi books where it's like, well, let's take where we are now and try and think 200 years in the future and maybe throw in one or two things that might be absolutely impossible, but we're just going to assume advanced science will cover that. And that kind of stuff generally... I find is more interesting because it's more about how people react to these things. And like we said, Jurassic Park talking about, you know, playing with God and all that stuff and using technology poorly. You get a good moral while also being able to stick close to some real science. Originally um, in Jurassic Park, they were going to make the dinosaurs more like um, lizard-like. And then, you know, like the velociraptors would have had like flicking tongues and stuff. And then they they had a consultant on um, for dinosaurs. And the guy was like, Think of these as birds. Like, don't think of them as reptiles. Think of them as birds. Make them more bird-like, and you'll get better dinosaurs. And that's what. They and they did. really do make like bird-type noises and chirps and stuff, don't they? Like when the velociraptors are talking to each other. What isn't the noise of one of them like a turtle mating call? Oh, probably. <laughs> I'm always astounded by how they um how they make all these different sound effects. Like when you look in like the sound. <laughs> Turns out all of the Hollywood studios don't actually need to make sound effects. They can just hire Wade. <laughs> I'm just now thinking of like dinosaurs and I'm thinking, Gee, and he's making this noise. I'm like, that just sounds like a really angry goose. And I'm like, God. I mean, in some ways. Can you imagine yes. like dinosaurs with the attitudes of geese? No, <laughs> oh thank <my> you. <laughs> no, thank you. I, I mentioned I found that list of. Uh, good and also bad dinosaur references and i just want to pick out two one that i had heard of but like only not in not in hushed tones is the wrong way of saying it but like it's one i've heard of because it's so bad i've heard it discussed and that is dinosaur island which i think you can see from the screenshot what kind of movie that's going to be um, God. Uh, and uh, no. i'm just gonna paraphrase what was said in that blog the blog post about this because it's like saying the director was probably so busy making sure he had enough scantily clad bikini cave women that he could easily wake up in a cold. Could have you could easily imagine him waking up in a cold sweat the night before, before filming and going, "Wait, we do have dinosaurs, right?" Oh wow! <laughs> oh, this is amazing! Oh my god! Yes. Apparently, the dinosaurs this are absolutely terrible. This is not even B movie level. This is. Oh, can you imagine if that was the break in your career and you had to like go home to your wife and tell her what you did? That mouth is very snake-like. 
It totally looks to me like they've definitely modelled that one more on, like, a snake slash iguana. Oh, mate, you don't know he's dead. Don't shoot at that. <laughs> well, look at those invisible bullets. I'm pretty sure they're probably just making noises like... <laughs> he's really taking his time to chow down on that, isn't he? Oh, here come the women. Well, he day. doesn't look like he's got teeth. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, my days. Is this the Amazons here to save the day? Because as you, we all know, they're great warriors. Again, someone's got a bone that they put spikes <laughs> around as a weapon. Oh, I feel yeah, like that insults that in prehistoric man. It's just so bad. And that's, um, as oh I say, that's God. 1994. Um, oh, my God. And you compare it, like, though that, that dinosaur, apart from being in colour, looks no better than some of the old, like, claymation dinosaurs from the old Godzilla movie. <laughs> Oh my god, it's so lie. bad. A part of me makes me want to watch this film just to see how shite it is. What's the what's the, the plot? The, oh, can't you I guess? imagine there is not a plot. <laughs> army gets stuck on island, there are dinosaurs, they get saved by women, um, they want to bang the women, but the women won't let them because they've got bones on their sticks, um, and then the army people escape. I- I've lost the words. And uh, on their list of bad movies, uh, bad uh, dinosaurs in pop culture, from only a year later in 1995, what may be the low point of Whoopi Goldberg's career, the movie Theodore Rex, which ended up going straight to DVD, or straight to VHS at the time, um, they had to sue Whoopi Goldberg to fulfil her contract obligations when she realised how rubbish this movie was. It's like they took the dinosaur makeup from... The dinosaurs show we discussed earlier, and they have this character called Theod. It basically it's so nineties, so early nineties. Whoopi Goldberg is a future cop who teams up with an anthropomorphic dinosaur because, of course. Although his dinosaur's better than that weird little show. It does look pretty bad. I do all of his little jazz hands though. Jazz hands. You know, T Rex smoking a cigarette. Jazz hands. I love the bit where Whoopi Goldberg shouts, he's a dinosaur. Like, I imagine that was just her in real life being like, w- why am I doing this show? <laughs> that was her when she met the man. <laughs> she was like, he's a dinosaur. I'm like, okay, we've got that recorded. Brilliant. Thank you, Whoopi. <laughs> I'm just going to read you the plot of this film. Uh, <laughs> okay. In an alternate futuristic society where humans and anthropomorphic, anthropo- oh my God, you know the word I'm on about, dinosaurs coexist. A tough police detective named Katie Coltrane, that's Whoopi Goldberg, is paired with an anthropomorphic Tyrannosaurus named Theodore Rex to find the killer of dinosaurs and other prehistoric animals, leading them to a ruthless billionaire bent on killing off mankind by creating a new ice age. <laughs> wow. Starring such famous people as Bud Court and Juliet Landau. I've never heard of you of those people. It's just so bad. I've I've scrolled away so that I don't have to look at it, and I've just come across that T Rex with a mullet again, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm now like conflicted. I'm like, what's worse? I don't know. I like the idea that dinosaurs might have had feathers. I mean, they they did. From what I from the cursory reading I did last night, it seems like it's still contested because there's the quote-unquote missing link that is definitely something that is dinosaur-like with feathers, but they don't know how many, when, at what stage. That aspect, that's still all very much contested because there's not anything with definite examples of feathers apart from 
that one or two that are the missing link, but they're much smaller specimens and they're not like the dinosaurs that we've predominantly been discussing today. So it's likely, but I don't know if it's like a definite. Oh, okay. I thought they all were dinosaurs. fairly confident that certainly the later dinosaurs, the definitely velociraptors, had feathers. I think the problem is as well, it's on a kind of case-by-case basis as well. Like, you have to find a fossil to basically prove it <laughs> for each yeah, species. Yeah, because yeah, like the ones that were the quote-unquote missing link, they found like the partial fossils that had the feathers. So they were able to definitely say these ones had feathers, which then made them question everything else, which is then like, where's the potential for other dinosaurs that we know of? To have had feathers. Well, these ones here, we don't know if they did or didn't, but we can assume that given that they were related to A, who was related to B, who was linked to C, it's plausible to say that they did have feathers. I think that's sort of the link that they're flowing through, although I do like the idea that they have feathers, and I do like the idea that they had feathers that are more kind of like tropical birds and a bit more sort of flamboyant. Because, like, you know, using them to scare people off and using it as shows and stuff. I just, I don't know why, I just kind of like that idea. I like the idea of dinosaurs dancing around in the jungle with pretty feathers going, (laughs) attracting other dinosaurs. Again, I can just imagine them just sort of doing, if they're somewhere between, like, a bird and a reptile. Which is a reasonable assumption. Yeah, then I can, they they probably did have, like, most animals, even reptiles, have some sort of mating call slash ritual. So if they had feathers, they probably used them in that. Although now just imagining like some sort of dinosaur trying to fly and failing. So we've talked a lot about dinosaurs today. But what have we learned? What have we learned? I mean, I think we've we've done quite a good overview of what dinosaurs are. Uh, dropped off into some occasional uh, tangents about various other bits of fossils and other things that are not true dinosaurs, but most people think are dinosaurs. And... Discuss Jurassic Park. So, I mean, I think this was a win as a podcast, personally. I don't know how, what the, either of you feel about it, but I think it was a good podcast. I give it two Iguanodon thumb spikes up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was it was good. I think it's been good to have some of the geology side of it, just to sort of think about like the layers and stuff. And I think it'd be really interesting to hear a paleontologist or someone who's got a little bit more of the science behind it. Yeah, I would love to get a paleontologist on. Give some of the detail or like you know, to debunk some of the myths or just to be able to talk around some of the things we have with with more accurate knowledge. Because like everything I've said is based off things that I've heard, things that I've read, things that I've seen, but it's not necessarily, you know, founded in hard fact. Yeah, especially the feathers business. I'd love to hear like all the facts from someone who knows it inside out. If any of our listeners are paleontologists and would like to come on the show, please let us know. You just have to remember that it's down to the random chance of the die uh, what topic we get next. And and speaking of, and so uh, let's pick our next topic out of the hat. Uh, well, our next category out of the hat, and then we'll get on to the topic. What is today's hat? Um, well, I think uh, it's going to have to be a floppy PhD hat, as seen in the picture of me running away from Stan. We once managed to get a Christmas hat on him. On Stan. Our next category is going to be music, Ooh. which we have covered before, so we're going to have a specific episode within music. Our next topic within music is going to be... 
going to be oddly specific subgenres, which I think is something Mike wants to have quite a discussion about. So he will he will be on that because he's like we'll listen to music and he'll be like, oh yeah, well this is more of a this 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 genre, and I'm like. I really don't know if that's right or not because I really don't know the really specific genres. I'm like, I can give you a rough idea of some of the genres, but that's about it. So, according to my MP3 player, there's a difference between progressive power metal and power progressive metal. <laughs> Is that based on how progressive and how power they are? I have no idea. <laughs> No, like some sure. sort of ratio. Whichever one comes first is the higher. Just like when you've got an ingredients list. Ah, uh, yes. My strawberry banana cake. <laughs> or is it a banana strawberry cake? Who knows? So um, before we finally wrap up, our next topic, as we said, is going to be oddly specific subgenres. Um, do either of you have things you'd like to plug or mention on the show? Um, no, I'm good. I'll just mention that you might recognise me from either other podcasts here, but I'm also the co-host of the Mishmash Mayhem podcast, which is part of Tinker Sailor's Soul Sponge under this massive umbrella and you can find us on the website where you found this probably indeed at um, TinkerTaylorSoldersponge.com forward slash mishmash what do you podcast about? we take fictional characters and we go through what their abilities are and all that much jazz and then we make them fight in a random location and we well we discuss their, their fight in a random location and all based on the canon that they're defending the honour of us being bullied at school. That is interesting. The bullying part, mostly. You take characters from numerous different types of genres? Yes, I mean, we mostly just pick characters that we like, uh, because they're ones we know, but we also have fan suggestions or just other characters. We've had ones from books, comics, games, films, uh, none from real life, because they're not fictional. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still impressed with how well Wreck-It Ralph did. Um, which is spoiler for some slightly older episodes, but Wreck-It Ralph was on there for a while. <laughs> so, you know, all sorts. Uh, yeah, as they range from uh, people you'd expect to be on there to people you wouldn't expect to be on there. And also every week they roll a die of death to see where they're going to fight. Um, and I still think my favourite is the Southwest train from Southampton to London, because it's not where you'd expect a massive fight to break out. No. But to be honest, it's it's that hellish experience that would just fit very nicely, having been on those trains before. You sort of when you're on those trains, you want you just waiting for it to end. If a fight starts out, you're just like, oh god, I am now in hell. This <laughs> is <laughs> I'm officially there. So thank you both for joining me um, and uh, having a cool chat about dinosaurs. As usual, it remains to say, where well, you can find us on all the usual places. You can find us at hatmanythings.com. You can find us on uh, Twitter as how to many things you can find us as uh, how to many things on reddit you can find us how many things on facebook and yes we have an instagram that's also how to many things so that should be nice and easy to remember for you um if you want to uh support any of these shows on patreon you can do so at patreon.com forward slash ttss and all that money goes towards the hosting costs and, and running for all of these shows so um and helps us get better equipment like better microphones and stuff like that so any any money is appreciated um join our existing patreons um you get bonus content episodes uh from some of the podcasts at the moment and we're probably going to try and roll that out more and some maybe some more bonus episodes as well crossover episodes things like that so feel free to come along to patreon and give us some of your hard-earned dollars in return for fun things and other than that i don't think there's anything else for you to say then thanks again and uh, i think that's the end of the show 
Awesome. Thank you very much for having me on here as a guest today. Um, Mike, I'm sure we'll be back on next time to put you all straight, tell you exactly how it is and swear too much. <laughs> um, we did get a request for more swearing. <laughs> well, don't you worry. He can, he, can abide, he can help you out there. Traditionally, I usually actually swear more than him, but there's not been that much to swear about about dinosaurs other than an excitement. They're fucking awesome! Well, it's true. <laughs> it is what it is. But it's not that sort of angry swear that you get with other topics. But yes, thank you very much for having me. It's been really interesting. Oh, thanks for coming along. It's been great. Indeed. Thank you very much for having me again. It was uh, very, very interesting. Enjoyed. Excellent. Right. I will make Craig leave. Good evening and welcome to the bar. Join Dr. Wilco as he investigates the histories of your favourite spirits and your favourite cocktails while mixing you a drink at the bar. The other bars may be closed, but a podcast bar will always remain open. Mm-hmm.